the world cannot allow Nigeria to become unstable because that is just going to cause a global crisis on a level that I don't think we've quite seen. The world relies on Nigeria to keep the peace on the continent of Africa. The meaning of our democracy. What is democracy for me? Defining the rule of law. You just gotta roll with it. Hello again and welcome to Rolling with Democracy, the podcast where we talk about democracy, the rule of law and all that good stuff. My name is Steffi and I'm still your host. And today we'll talk about the seventh most populous country in the world, Nigeria. To learn more about the giant of Africa and its current developments, I invited Ernest Danjuma Inebi today. Um, thank you very much, Danji, for taking the time and joining us today. Thank you very much. How are you doing, Steffi? Good to join you. Of course, first of all, we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so could you just briefly introduce yourself with regard to your connection to Nigeria? I guess my connection to Nigeria is I'm Nigerian, so we'll start there. Uh, born and raised. Um, uh, my name is Ernest Benjuma Enebi. I am from Nigeria. I'm an engineer by training, uh, but I'm also, um, I run a brand design and growth strategy company called the Dender Group that works with startups, small businesses, and nonprofits on the continent of, of Africa and trying to connect them to opportunities in, um, around the world and working with entrepreneurs and small business owners around the world and trying to connect them to the continent as well. Cool. Uh, but I also write on, or I used to write on policy and politics for the Guardian uh, newspaper in Nigeria, which was one of the biggest newspapers in Nigeria. So I, I have written about politics and policy from a global perspective, kind of highlighting the things that are going on in Nigeria, but putting them in Nigeria and around the African continent sometimes. Mm -hmm. and, and putting them sort of in a global perspective, trying to give some view to what's uh, going on. You already mentioned the, the global perspective, and that's actually the subject of our discussion today, because when I was searching online for current articles about Nigeria, and this is probably only the German um, Google I was using, but I came across headlines in, involving I don't know, school safety, Boko Haram, or also Nigeria's relationship with China. So do you feel like this is an accurate representation of your home country? So I, I like to think of myself as a patriot, uh, but I'm also a realist. And I think mm -hmm. what Google does, if you search, is it'll give you a lot of what's in the news currently. If someone came from you know, out of space and search about the planet Earth right now, I think they would, you know, they would think the Middle East was the biggest continent on the globe. They would think, you know, we've been in a pandemic for a century. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think those are what, those are the things that are going on in Nigeria. There's a lot of insecurity. Obviously, I think it's been exacerbated by the global sort of move towards the instability in the Middle East, I think has driven it a lot. The pandemic, you have uh, the, you know, the climate crisis. So a lot of these things, funny enough, have come to a confluence where, you know, insecurity is a big part of the story. But also China, <laughs> you know, uh, when you talk about the economy, China, uh, you know, has been making a lot of um, 
sort of imperialist moves on the continent. I don't think that's any secret. They are filling a lot of the void that the U.S. and the EU um, have left, sort of as those countries look inward as the the economics of the world become a little more complicated. I think a a a lot of the Western countries are looking inward. And that's created an opportunity for China and, and Russia, some of these other sort of emerging uh, powers to fill those voids. So yeah. that's what's represented in the news. Obviously, it is not the only story. I don't even think it's the majority of the story, but mm-hmm. it, you know, it is what's currently sort of leading the headline. Take it with a pinch of salt. What are, in your opinion, the most pressing issues uh, Nigeria is facing right now? I personally live in the U.S. Um, oh, okay. and I'm currently in the U.S. right now and I've been here throughout the pandemic. So I don't, and, and we talked about this, you know, a little bit before, you know, before we got on air and, and kind of in our setup to this, I don't know that I'm, you know, the perfect person to talk about the internal things going on in Nigeria at the moment because I haven't been since the pandemic. However, I do have businesses there that have been affected by the pandemic. I do have all of my family, my, you know, my immediate family is still in Nigeria. Most of my friends live there. Most of my business associates live there. And and I will say, um, just to echo their own sentiments, I think there is a growing sense that the current government Mm -hmm. doesn't have the tools to handle one, the economic crisis that Mm -hmm. is gripping the country. They were trying to do a lot of economic reforms that has met sort of headwinds as sort of the global economy, the the global economy has crashed. And so trying to dig out of that has, you know, has become even more complicated. Obviously oil, which is, you know, a major part of the economic mix has been down for a very long time i think it's picking back up now so that has you know that has exacerbated the economic recovery and then insecurity from boko haram um, in the north the economic crisis kind of just hit and you know when that happens just a wave of kidnapping and then you have the climate crisis that has created sort of a lot more droughts in the north and has pushed cow rarers and the herdsmen to move down, uh, you know, further downstate, grazing into lands that aren't theirs. And so that has created a whole nother set of conflict. And Mm -hmm. so right now it feels like we're in that crux where everything is kind of meeting at this (laughs) junction. It does feel, uh, from all my conversations, it just feels like there is no clear path forward. Mm-hmm. You add to that what was seen as state-sanctioned violence, police, brutality, the NSARS movement and the government sending the armed forces on the citizens. So it's, it's a tough time yeah. in Nigeria. But as I like to tell everyone that I talk to there, the lens from which I look at these things is it, it, I'm an engineer at, you know, at the end of the day, so I look at these things through that lens. Mm-hmm. Have we been here before what events from the past can inform how we deal with this and whether we are going to get out of this with our heads intact and you know and i think that we've we've been here several countries have been here it's important to understand that uh, you know there is a you know there is a global pandemic that is really making movement on any 
set of issues very, 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 very tough. It's also important to, to understand what a failed state looks like, which I hear a lot of people throwing out these terms and they throw it out even in the US, you know, mm-hmm. this is a failed state. I've visited countries that are, you know, that are closer to that. And mm-hmm. I don't think that we're anywhere, we're anywhere close to that. So yeah. I think, uh, I think the, the state of Nigeria right now, the economy and security is very tenuous. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's groundbreaking, to be honest. Okay, so let's focus on one topic that you already mentioned regarding the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, or SARS. Because last year in the course of demonstrations against police violence in the United States, this topic has emerged on the news worldwide, I guess, but then also quickly disappeared from the public focus, um, at least here in Europe. Can you fill us in on this issue, especially why these demonstrations emerged in Nigeria and also if this movement is still going on? I think you've laid it out um, quite nicely. The Special Anti-Robbery Squad, or SARS, as it's known, was created to deal with the insecurity, which I (laughs) aforementioned (laughs) insecurity, right? It's a branch of the police force. And and the way that the Nigerian police works, I think it's a federal police system, right? Mm -hmm. So the the police operate from, you know, it's, it's one police force around the country. And they create these special units to kind of deal with special security situations, mm-hmm. which, um, and robbery, there were spikes in robberies, special kinds of crime that were happening around the country, kidnappings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so you had this sort of ununiformed man a lot of the time who were given this broad mandate to quash robberies and whatnot. And, and they just were operating with impunity. You have the same problem in the U.S., which mm-hmm. is policing as a whole is operating almost instinctively as opposed to kind of based on data and based on kind of best practices. They don't believe that they're serving the people. You know, they believe that they're this authority figure. What happened was you started to have them, you know, they were uh, torturing, beating, um, you know, extrajudicial killing of people. And uh, it just became too much. And so you had riots, protests rather, to get the government to say, hey, listen, this is not okay. We can't be, we can't have a government that we, by the people and for the people, attacking the people. And so that's what the protests were about. There were talks with the government and then it just somehow went off the rails. The government got frustrated. The people who were mostly young um, citizens wanted answers and wanted change rapidly and they wanted to do it at their pace which is very slow and so what you had was they sent the army and the police force to go quell the protests and they went and you know started shooting into crowds on video um live streamed for the whole world to see and that just exacerbated the situation because Mm -hmm. then you had even more protests around the world and calls for people to resign and whatnot. I think a lot of people lost faith in their government. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of what you're seeing now is almost a result of that. And if you can't rely on your government to protect you, it's almost the, the, the social contract is broken. 
And mm-hmm. so it's free for all. You know, it's the, it's the freaking wild, wild west. What needs to happen again is that contract needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. Regards to the special anti-robbery squad, they changed the name or they disbanded the unit and, you know, renamed it the SWAT, <laughs> which is, I guess, special weapons and tactics. And, um, you know, it looked to people on the surface like a comedy because yeah. it's like, you know, how are you just replacing one group with a, the exact same people and you're just changing their name to a different sort of reform? We're going to end up in the exact same place, the exact same protests. Will it garner the same amount of worldwide attention? I don't know. I don't know yeah. that the the globe has the bandwidth to deal with the same issue multiple times. But in your lead up, you mentioned that Nigeria is such a large country mm-hmm. with relative certainty. The world cannot allow Nigeria to become unstable. Yeah. Because that is just going to cause a global crisis on a level that I don't think we've quite seen Mm-hmm. Uh, in recent years, right? Yeah. Because the world relies on Nigeria to keep the peace on the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. So it, it's actually quite interesting. It, it, you know, people don't quite see this, but the Western forces don't really operate within, you know, the African continent. They use the Nigerian armed forces. They, they rely on them to actually, you know, carry out a lot of peacekeeping missions, both diplomatic and military missions on the continent to keep uh, sort of peace and stability on the continent. Um, but yeah, I cannot overstate how important a stable Nigeria is to the global world order mm-hmm. and, and the global economy. So do you put your hope on the next elections or what is your outlook? <laughs> so <laughs> there is a pandemic that's yeah. in front of us. It's hard for me to project anything outside of the current moment that we're in because a lot of what we are reacting to right now mm. is as a result of what we're dealing with, right? This collective trauma that we're dealing with. It's almost like you're trying to, you're trying to create policy while you're in the middle of an earthquake. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it's wise. You, you have to move on, mm-hmm. right? You have to keep going. But when the disaster is over, you can actually take you know, an accurate toll, an accurate account of of the actual toll, financial, lives, even mental health-wise, kind of just the psyche of the country. You have to kind of take a toll of of an account of what it's it's caused. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of almost calibrate and see what what was what was as a result of the pandemic and what what issues were actually real. With regards to what's next or what my hopes are, there's an election. There's a there's a national election in 2023. I don't have a lot of hope on that election just because the way that democracy has been set up around the world, right? And democracy and the the the, the style of democracy that we practice in Nigeria is, it was um, imported from the U.S. Mm-hmm. and you've seen how it's worked out in the U.S., which is you know, they go through the entire process. They talk about, you know, radical change and, you know, we need to change things and we need to overhaul things from the ground up and X, Y, Z. And mm-hmm. then you end up with the same guy who has been in power from, for 40 years. Do you also have and a two-party system? or We have or... a two-party system in the exact okay. same way. So yeah. it's almost, it's mimicking the exact, you have the exact same issues that are going to play out. 
Mm-hmm. Most people don't pay attention to the elections that actually matter, which okay. is their local elections. And so you end up putting all your faith in one guy <laughs> and relying <laughs> on him or her to change the entire system. Yeah. Actually relying on him. I guess that's part of the problem that, you know, so for me, I think the first thing is we have to actually figure out, we have to get the other half of the team playing in the game, you know? So we have to get to a point where we're not only electing the people who volunteer themselves for leadership, because a lot of the time those people don't know what they're doing and they're they're not quite up to the job, but they're the ones that are willing to risk. They're the ones that are volunteering themselves or are willing to play whatever game it is. Am I hopeful? I was very involved um, in the last election in, in trying to get people to see beyond what was right in front of them. My hope is that the president can't run again. So that's oh, half. Okay. <laughs> so whatever happens is convenient president. Uh, there's going to be a new president, hope for, uh, you know, and hopefully that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not sure. It could. It could get worse because um, we thought it was very, very bad before this president became president, and now everyone's like, "Oh, if we knew what we knew now, then." It, but that always happens, right? Mm-hmm. There's always bias remorse. So my hope is that we've learned some lesson from all of all of the strife that's going on now and instability. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, Nigeria is the most complicated country in the world to govern because it's one of the few countries that exists that's a multicultural country, operates a democracy, and is a very big country. When you have those three things, mm. there may be only, other, only two other countries and none at the scale of Nigeria that have the amount of ethnic groups within the country, mm-hmm. the size of the, the population within the country, and has chosen to operate a democracy. When you have those three things in one country, research has shown those are the most difficult countries to govern. And so it's not an accident that where we are, where we are. The citizens understand that. And that's the global sort of perspective I try to give, which is that this is not normal. This is not easy stuff. Mm -hmm. This is literally the most complicated country to govern in the world. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, I'm Nigerian. This is objectively based on, you know, our Harvard <laughs> University study. At least we have a common set of facts that we're operating off of. Um, and just out of personal interest, uh, do you think there could also be a female uh, presidential candidate in Nigeria? The last election cycle, I tried to draft probably the most qualified candidate to run for president. The Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, Amina Mohamed, who's Nigerian, mm-hmm. uh, who had served in the country and the cabinet before going to serve the world i got shut down people said well you know maybe as a vice president you know you can't have a woman xyz mm-hmm. once the sars thing started to happen yeah you know it's ironic a lot of us ran to the united nations to go and we were calling on her to come out and do something or say something Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said to myself, well, we wouldn't have, we, we, we wouldn't have, we probably wouldn't have this problem if, we, if, we, if y'all had just listened to me. Yeah. I think that it's very possible. Um, we have some of the most brilliant minds, the most brilliant women 
in the entire world, serving at the highest levels. The current DG of the World Trade Organization is a woman. That is sincerely my hope. When I said, you know, I would love for the other half of the team to get a chance to play, we're just not putting our best out there. And I would love to have, you know, a lot more women in both state houses. And we haven't even had a female governor okay. in Nigeria. It will happen in my lifetime. Yeah, I'm God sure. Willing. I'm sure. Yeah. And that actually leads me to my last question, which is, um, can you name maybe a famous person or an interesting person from Nigeria that we should keep an eye out for in the future? There's a couple of amazing people that I'm looking out for. Uh, you know, a couple of young people. I would watch out for Adebola Williams in Lagos. He's a very interesting mind. I'll keep an eye out for him. Aisha Augi Kuta. She's one of the most amazing public servants as well. She's an interesting woman that, that is also going places. There's, there's a lot of people, man, let me tell you. Anywhere you go, you know they're amazing Nigerians. We just need, of we course. play very well individually. Individually, we just need to translate into sort of team excellence. Nice. Well, I think that's a great um, way to end this episode. Thank you so much, Danji, for um, participating and for this very interesting talk about your home country. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much for having me. Uh, I appreciate it and uh, look forward to hearing from you more in the future. And thank you, dear listener, for your support. I'm always happy for feedback and comments. And stay tuned for the next episode of Rolling with Democracy, coming soon. <laughs>